Let's get into God's word. Again, Numbers 33. We, we know that, listen, the children of Israel are on the cusp of going into the promised land. We see that at this point, they're right outside of Jericho. Um, again, that first generation that didn't have faith to go in the promised land, for the most part, they've passed, as God said they would, 20 years old and above. He's been prepping this next generation. We know he's been giving them victory there over the nations east of the Jordan River, really to build their faith, I think, more than anything else, to trust in the Lord as they would go there into Canaan. And we know that we're at this place in Numbers, and we've been here the last several chapters where uh, the Lord is prepping them, he's reminding them of things and so forth. The book of Deuteronomy, you got to understand, because you're like, oh boy, a lot. we've already heard a lot of this stuff. You get into Deuteronomy, there's all kinds of new things as well. It's God preparing that next generation and, and really grounding him in their law and what he wanted to walk them to walk in and so forth for, for a few reasons, to be separated from the nations around them, to be different than, than them, because remember, they were set apart to bring forth the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, also, though, again, those laws were given to show them they needed a Savior. You know, you, 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 they can't keep those laws and they need someone who could because God's standards perfection and praise God, we got a perfect savior in Jesus Christ. And so he's reiterating, he's getting those things. And as we come here to Numbers 33, we see a recap of everywhere they've been. And uh, so we want to go through this a little bit. Um, we're, we're, we're probably not going to read verses 15 through 30 because I think I could pronounce all these words, but... Uh, It'd be like a, a, a hurdler going through like a five-mile stretch of it. And, uh, but we are going to look at some of this stuff by way of reminder and, and refreshing us. And there's some new little insights here as well. So let's, let's go through this chapter. And then the next one's a real brief chapter of things we've already looked at as well, talking about the borders and so forth once they would get into that promised land. So verse 1 and 2, it says, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt, by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord, and these are the journeys according to their starting points. And so again, this is going to be a recap of, of where they've been and a looking back to our starting point and where we are today. And this is a beautiful thing when you walk with the Lord and seasons come and seasons go and you begin to get years, you know, underneath your belt. I think it's a good thing every once in a while to step back and think about where you started and how far God has brought you and all the things that he has brought you through. And, uh, you know, you give him praise in that and, and you give him glory in it because he's brought us this far to where we are tonight, right? And he's provided for us uh, even things maybe we're still trying to figure out. You know, what God's wanting to work all those things for good and he does work all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. I think as well, you know, when we walk with him and we abide in him, we get to see God's word lived out in our lives. And absolutely, we're to hang our hat on and, and stand on the promises of the Lord. But it's a beautiful thing when you see God working in your life and working through seasons and so forth. It, it's like looking back at those memorial stones that the israelites were, were would stack they wouldn't stack those to go back and worship them or even to look back and say oh boy the glory days back then and here we are now or boy remember when we built that memorial now we don't need to do anymore but they were to look back on those things to recount the faithfulness of the lord 
Uh, we want to do that, recount the faithfulness of the Lord in our life. And that's in part what's going on. Also, again, this was uh, just, just for historical sakes as well, and, and you know, to track where they've been and where they were going and so forth. And um, notice, again, it started when they went out of the land of Egypt. And remember, they were enslaved there for 400 plus years. And they began to cry out for a deliverer out of that iron furnace. And remember, they went down to Egypt as a small group, 70 of them. And they came out, 2 million of them. And in that whole time of suppression, God multiplied them and grew them. And even the more the Egyptians tried to destroy them, the more they multiplied. And what a reminder to us that in the trials that we go through, God is wanting to use them to grow us. And we got to remember that because it's easy to get discouraged in trials, right? In, in, in the, the fiery trials and so forth. But even in the New Testament, we're told that God wants to add to our faith in those things and, and to our virtue and so forth. Um, notice as well, verse 2, it says, Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys. And this is another one of those verses that tells us who is the author of the first five books of the Bible. And uh, if, if you're like, well, I'm not really sure about that, Jesus talks about, again, the words of Moses. And, you know, it can, uh, attributes these, uh, these uh, you know, records to Moses writing them down. And I think that's important that we know that. And then also, again, they, they went at the command of the Lord. And when you look back and you look back at your life, uh, the most glorious times or, or the times you see working out for the best, I guarantee you, and especially when we get to glory, it's going to be those times when we were led by the command of the Lord. Because uh, those times of rebellion, they, they, they might seem like times of celebration, but it's always a short-lived celebration. But when you walk in the fear of the Lord, the command of the Lord, sometimes it's the harder trek. Like last week, remember, we saw they got discouraged when they had to go the long way around uh, Edom. But again, even in that, God was looking out for them, and God worked it for good. Now, notice verse 3, it says, They departed from Ramses on the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, and, or, and on that day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, and the Lord had, uh, whom the Lord had killed among them, also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Now, there's some powerful things here. Again, they were in bondage there amongst the Egyptians. The Egyptians had killed their firstborn at one point. Remember the, the firstborn males, they would, they would throw them into their Nile River. And this is one of those passages that reiterates uh, whatever a man sows, he's also going to reap. Uh, they, they did that out of a ruthlessness. They did that not out of a fear of God, but out of a fear of men. Here's Israel multiplying, and they're, out of their fear of man, they said, let's go murder them. If they would have had a fear of God, they would have said, listen, God gives life, and God takes it away. Who are we to take it away? And they could have even took it a step further and recognized the promise that God had given to Israel that the Messiah of the world would come and that God has said, whoever blesses them will be blessed, and whoever curses them will be cursed. And no doubt Pharaoh, uh, again, had access to that truth. And can you imagine what have, what, how things would have looked different if they would have said, well, let's, let's just bless these Israelites. Let's, let's let them go. Let's bless them. What a different end would have come out. But instead, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, and he suppressed them. So remember, God raised up Moses, a type of Christ, and all those different plagues he brought to try to softened their heart and yet pharaoh hardened his heart all the more and it was finally through the shed blood of lambs when they put it over their doorposts did the angel of the lord pass over them 
And praise God, it's that picture of Jesus Christ. Is your faith in him tonight? Can you say amen to that? Now listen, you're covered by his blood and your sins are washed and you're gonna be passed over on judgment day and you're gonna enter into glory through what Jesus has done. Again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they left, they left Egypt. It's a picture of us when we left the world and they went out of Egypt with boldness and they did it in the sight of all the Egyptians. And praise God, in, in Christ, we can walk with boldness through what he's done through the shed blood of our lamb. And we can enter into his presence in prayer with boldness, uh, especially when we, when we are in that place of need. And the enemy of our soul, oftentimes, you know, when we're really struggling, saying, well, you can't go before God with that. You know, you need to hang your head and, you know, God's so upset with you and so forth. And, and you know, God's not always pleased with our actions, but he loves us and we can go before him with boldness through the, through the shed blood of our lamb, the lamb of lambs, the, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And notice as well, when they left, they did it in the sight of all the Egyptians. And those Egyptians, again, that had thrown those babies there into that Nile River, as they went out, they went with boldness in their sight as they were burying their firstborn. Again, whatever a man sows, he's also gonna reap. And, I, and it is my hope that at that point, and we'll find out one day that, Maybe some of those Egyptians repented in that because it was God's desire not just to save Israel, it was God's desire to save Egypt, that they would repent as well, that they would call on the name of the Lord. And yet, again, so many of them hardened their heart and eventually judgment's gonna come. Also, it's interesting, the Lord brought judgment as well on their gods. He says he executed judgment on, on their gods. Remember, we looked at all the plagues. This was a long while back, but all that's... You know, and it's on, on, out there in the cyber world, on our website and everything else. Every one of those plagues were related to the gods that they worship. And, and um, you know, the demons behind them. Because in, in so much of it, their worship of nature, they associated with various gods that, that were legitimate fallen angels. And the Lord went and he punished them. And it's a reminder to us as we've gone through numbers and we've seen all these pictures of spiritual warfare and we looked at it a few weeks in a great detail there in Ephesians. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. That when you're going through things in life, you know, we want to pray for people's souls. But we also, again, want to pray in that sense of knowing there is a war in the heavenlies and just say, Lord, I pray you go before me and I pray you'd rebuke the enemy. And sometimes I just pray, Lord, I pray you go and punish the enemy right now. And in, in the Psalms, David talks about the Lord kicking in the teeth of his enemies. And I pray, Lord, go kick in the teeth of, 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 of the enemy. And uh, again, not talking about people here. Not, not, you know, so don't get me out of context here. That, that was old, the old, the old life, right? But, but in, in the sense of the enemy and the whispering and whispering in ears and slanderous nature and so forth. Lord, I want to look beyond these puppets here being used by the enemy. And God, I want to pray you go and you smite the enemy. Lord, that you would rebuke him. Lord, that, that, that you would wreck them. I, get, I use like all kinds of, you know, like street terms. Oh, Lord, just, you know, go stomp them into the ground and so forth. You know, sometimes you got to get into prayer and so forth. Sometimes that even will stir your faith versus just being so, you know, it, uh, you know, it may, it may be uh, liturgical or in the sense of, 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 of you know, just kind of, uh, uh, you know, not coming with an urgency or, 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 or with a fervency. And so, you know, I'd encourage you in that area. And, you know, maybe tonight, even in the area of, of, of folks you know need, that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they need a fervent uh, prayer warrior, someone standing in the gap and praying with a fervency, Lord, God, I know that they're bound by the enemy. And I pray in Jesus' name you'd smite them, Lord, that you'd go and you'd rebuke them. And, and, and sometimes that's even a stirring of our faith 
versus just going through the motions of prayer. Again, and it's not to invoke emotions. We want to, again, pray in faith and uh, trusting in Him. But sometimes, again, in our humanness, we, we, we need to get slap our cheeks and, hey, let's, let's wake up to really what's going on here and cry out to the Lord. Can we say amen to that? So 5 through 9, let's read it. It says, Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Succoth. They departed from Succoth and camped in Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham and turned back to uh, Pi-Hirath, which, uh, w- uh, which is east of Baal-Zephon. And they camped near Migdol. They departed from before Hararoth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. Went three days' journey in the wilderness to Etham, camped at Mara. They moved from Mara and came to Elim. And Elim were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, so they camped there. And so again, this is, a, this is a, that glorious time when they had left Egypt, again, through the shed blood of, of, a, of a lamb. And remember, after they left, Pharaoh's like, what in the world did we do? We just lost our workforce. And Egypt gathered their armies together to go try to kill the Israelites there in the wilderness. And God backed them up against the Red Sea and the Red Sea's here, and here's the superpower of the world coming against them over here. And then remember, God brought up a cloud between them and, and put a hedge of protection around them. And uh, initially, instead of crying out to the Lord, they complained. And, and again, that pattern you see there. But Moses cried out, and the Lord told him, you know, take that staff and, and uh, you know, to, to, to strike the water there. And as they did, it split open. And we see one of these glorious miracles where God literally stopped the water and, and split it, and then they walked through on dry land. And I always laugh at people trying to explain this scientifically. Well, you know, certain times of the year, it's very low, and the winds come just right, and it could have dried it out. Maybe it was a drought year, and they walked through, you know. The, the big problem with that is they got through, and then the Egyptian army came in behind them to kill them, and they all got drowned. Look, at this is a miracle. And it's a big mistake to try to explain it away naturally and as we know nature. There's sometimes when God, you know what, he, he, he comes in and he works against the laws of physics, which again are laws that he put into place to govern the universe. But as the governor of the universe, he has a right to come in and do miracles. And it was a miracle. And we got to remember that in our lives because sometimes we're in between a rock and a hard place, right? In between a sea and a, and a, and a sea of, of, of soldiers, so to speak, that want to destroy us. And again, we want to trust in the Lord. And it's really neat, again, the more you walk with the Lord and, and you abide in Christ, you can step back and you can see those times where the Lord just split the Red Sea, so to speak. And he brought you through and he carried you through. Boy, that's a, it's something that will build your faith. And I encourage you, if you're new to him, to walk with him and keep your eyes on him. And watch how the Lord goes before you. Well, they got out of there, and then they went to this place called Mara. And Mara means bitter. And when they went to this place of Mara there in verse 8, you know, they, they, they found water, and they were excited about it. And then they got there, and it was bitter water. And you know what they did when they drank bitter water? Can anyone guess? They complained. <laughs> against God and against Moses. And they began to say, oh, you brought us out here to kill us. Again, Delivered by the shed blood of the Lamb, went through that Red Sea, that picture of Moses' baptism. 
God's providing for two million of them every step along the way. And then there's a little hiccup from their view, not from God's view. God knew exactly what he was doing, and they complained. And again, these are patterns that God wants broken in our lives. Because how often times when something doesn't go exactly the way we think it should, or we hit that speed bump, what do we do? We complain. And instead of complaining, we need to do like Moses did time and time again, except for that one time when he, when he smote the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. You know, we want to pray. And they would complain, and then Moses would pray, and after he would pray, God would meet them where they were at time and time again. And at that place there, Amar, with that bitter world, water, the Lord, or Moses cried out to the Lord. Remember, God showed Moses a tree. And he said, take that tree and throw it into the water, and the water will become sweet. And so he went, and he took that tree, and he threw it in, and, and it became sweet. And this is another one of those things where people are like, well, scientifically, you know, there's certain trees. And, and there might be some truth to that. I don't know. But it definitely was a miracle. Amen. And so it was, at the minimum, listen, it was a word of wisdom. It was a word of wisdom from, from the Lord. And there's a lot of healings in the Bible from words of wisdom. When God says, do this. And, and so I know when I pray for people when they're sick, I pray God will touch them. And I also pray, Lord, if you, if you have a word of wisdom for them. Show that word of wisdom. I know I've had some healings in my life through a word of wisdom. Hey, you need to do this. And it just struck in my spirit. Yeah, you're right. You need to quit drinking Diet Coke. You need to start drinking water. That's a word of wisdom I needed. <laughs> if you want, you got freedom in Christ. If you want to drink it, but listen, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. <laughs> uh, so he threw, he threw it in there and the waters became sweet. And, and when we looked at this, it's a picture of the cross. You ever get bitter people in your life? You ever get bitter towards other people? Listen, you know how you turn that bitter water sweet? You look to the cross of Calvary. And they, listen, he could be bitter towards us, and, and yet he forgave us. It's amazing how when you forgive, when you throw on the cross, how it will make bitter water sweet. And if you've been living a life of bitterness, why would you want to stay at Mars bitter water when the Lord's just saying, look to the cross, look at the forgiveness I've given to you, and forgive others, throw on the cross, Move on in your life because when you remain in that bitterness, li- listen, you're, 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 you're going to allow yourself even to be victimized over and over. And there's too much victimization in the world today. It's destroying. It's destroying our world. Everyone wants to be a victim. It, it's true. People just got this mentality. Anything happens to them, I'm the victim. Listen, we've victimized plenty of other people. All of us have. How about, Lord, forgive me for victimizing others? And instead of going to, again, the the bitter water of victimization, how about go to the sweet waters of the cross of Calvary and say, I'm going to forgive, and and then I'm going to know I'm a a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving forward. So they threw in the cross, and they moved forward. Verse 10, it says, they moved from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of sin, and and they did a lot of sinning in that wilderness. They journeyed from the wilderness of sin and camped at uh, Dovka. They departed from Dovka and camped at Elush. They moved from Elush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. And and guess what they did? They complained. (laughs) And, And what did Moses do? He prayed. And God said, there's a rock right there. I want you to go and smite it. I want you to smack it. And he went and he, and he smote that rock and water came out. And it's interesting in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus was that rock. And Jesus was struck for us. 
He was struck for us on the cross of Calvary that we could drink of that living water of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, verse 15 through 37, again, it's, it's a record of everywhere they went. And, and I know for a fact that if you really wanted to dig deep with all these places and if you want, you got to map out and start seeing where they were and you start seeing the names of these places, because just like with Mara, it means bitter. Um, all of these places and their names convey something to us. Uh, we're not going to do that because I want to finish the book of Numbers in the next two weeks. But listen, if you're so inclined, uh, have at it and, and, and read through it. But listen, in all of it, you can even overview it and you'll look at, wow, look at God's faithfulness. And you can think of all your name and they move from here and they move from there. And, and even despite their complaining and their, you know, all of their issues, the Lord went before them. What an awesome God. I mean, we need to praise him that he's faithful to us when we're faithless. Verse 38, it says, Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Or, and at the command of the Lord, and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. And on the first day of the fifth month, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Or. And Aaron and Moses, again, both died before they went in the promised land. And it was kind of a twofold reason one reason was at one point they journeyed back around to Raphidim and the people complained again. And the Lord said, go speak to that rock. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses went and he struck the rock again. And really he misrepresented the Lord to the people. And God said, listen, you're showing yourself to be angry to these people. And I'm not. The Lord oftentimes was upset with their actions, but he loved them. And as a result of that, he said, listen, you're going to see the promised land, but you're not going to go in. But there was a bigger reason why Aaron and Moses didn't go in. The, the law came from these guys. And remember, we just read in John, 1 John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Moses brought the law, and the law shows us we're sinners. The law doesn't bring life. The law brings death. The law shows us we're transgressors of God's law, that, that we're under condemnation, and and. The law will never bring you into the promised land. So again, for the law was given through Moses, it says next though, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's why after Deuteronomy, you got Joshua, Yeshua, who's a picture of Christ, who brought them into the promised land. Again, the law shows us we're sinners. Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of that sin. He died for our sins at the cross of Calvary. He rose from the grave and defeated the, the consequence of our sin, death that when we put faith in him, we're washed and we're cleansed and we have assurance of our salvation through what Christ has done for us. That's good news, is it not? And listen, if you haven't called on him, today's the day of salvation. Verse 40. Now the king of Adrad, or Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south of the land of Canaan heard of the, chil- of, of the coming of the children of Israel. And that's kind of interesting because we don't read anything about that that I could recall back in the text, but it's thrown in here. And, and it's not by chance that's, that's going on there because the, Lord, the Lord's going before Israel and moving and he's moving them closer to that promised land and he's working on their life. And there were enemies that were watching them that they didn't know about. It's again another picture of, of spiritual warfare. The enemy always, he always has his ear to the ground. It's 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The enemy's always looking. He's always watching. Now, we don't need to fear the enemy unless you don't fear God. If you fear God, you don't need to fear the enemy. You don't need to fear man. If you don't fear God, you need to fear the enemy. You need to fear man. But if you fear God and, and, and you're walking close to him, you, you don't need to fear the other. And so we got to remember that. And we got to remember as the enemy has his ear to the ground, he's watching, what should we be doing? We should be looking up and drawing near to the Lord, drawing near to him. We need to be doing that tonight. I think we are doing that tonight. Verse 41, so they departed from Mount Or and camped at uh, Zalmana. They departed from Zalmana and camped at Punan. They departed from Punan and camped at Oboth. They departed from Oboth and camped at Ajir uh, Abiram at the border of Moab. That's uh, modern-day Jordan area there, uh, east of uh, the Jordan River. They departed from Ijam and camped at Dibon, Gad. They moved from Dibon, Gad, and camped at Alam, uh, Diblathim. I'll get it there. They moved from Almon, uh, Diblathim, and camped. That's why we skipped those other like 20 verses. And camped at the mountains of Abiram before Nebo. They departed from the mountains of Abiram and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan. Across from the Jericho, they camped by Jordan at Bath uh, Jeshmoth as far as Abel Achieth Grove in the plains of Moab. And this is where we read about Balak and Balaam and the Moabites and him trying to curse them, God protecting them, and then Balaam counseling them to send in Again, they're temple prostitutes and Israel partaking in them. And then God bringing a plague amongst them. That being stopped through Phineas, the high priest, when he took a javelin to some of these that were invoking the rebellion at God's order. And then we also saw recently that some time went by and gave the Moabites and the Midianites time to repent. And then the Lord used Israel to execute revenge on them to, to bring vengeance from the Lord. And yet God gave them time to repent and they didn't take it. So now they're there in Jericho and God's getting ready to go into the promised land and, and we'll close out the chapter and go through the next one pretty quickly. Verse 50, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images and demolish all their high places. You shall dispose the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance And to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. Therefore, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Boy, there's a lot there. 
First of all, he says, when you cross over the Jordan. He doesn't say, you know, if you cross over the Jordan. He says, when. Listen, God speaks in absolutes. And tonight, again, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he doesn't say, well, if you get to heaven. If your faith is in the Lord, it's when you get to heaven. It absolutely is. He speaks in absolutes. And he gave this promise and he prophesied it. He prophesied that he would be in that land. And again, we want to stand on those absolutes. His promises are, are yes and amen. And he says, once you get in there, you need to drive out the inhabitants. And, and this, this is just where a lot of people ignorant of the scriptures. They don't want to deal in realities. They get all, you know, it all bent out of shape with this. Oh, boy, what a warist people. What a murderous people. They went in and they drove out those inhabitants. Listen, this was a people, a group of people there in Canaan that were in gross, gross rebellion against God. And God was allowing them to occupy a land that he had already given to Abraham some 500 years earlier. And listen, when God deeds something to someone, guess what? It belongs to them. He's the one that has the right to do that. And God deeded that land to them. And he allowed the Canaanites to stay in it for another 500 years because he said their sin hadn't run their full course. They were still ashamed of their sin back then. They were ashamed of all of their sexual immorality. They were ashamed of their child sacrifice. They, they, they were ashamed against, again, their, their, their immoral activity and their business dealings and so forth. But 500 years had come and they weren't ashamed of it anymore. They celebrated it. It, be, it became something that was out in the open. In fact, if you spoke against it, they'd move to where Sodom and Gomorrah was. You know, who are you to speak out against us? And we're going to come from all the quarters and we're going to take care of you. We also got to understand, and we talked a lot about this in the last four books of the Bible. It was also a land that was, it was polluted with giants. And I want to stand in the biblical account of this. These several of of you know, there, there was a, a race of individuals among them that were the product of fallen angels having children with the daughters of men. And before the flood, that had happened. Why? To try to cut off the seed of woman whom the Savior of the world would come from. That's why there was a flood. People say, why didn't God just revive the earth? Because, again, the genetics of man had become corrupted. It's all biblical. This isn't some old people say, oh, Steve, you're getting, you know, you're getting way out there. No, this is biblical. This is real clear in Scripture. It's talked about in the New Testament. It's talked about all the old, in the Old Testament. They went in there. That's why when they first went, they said, there's giants in the land. We can't take, they'll crush us. We're like grasshoppers before them. They, they weren't just saying they're giants and, oh, they got these booming personalities. They were giants. And there's evidence of giants all over the earth. There, there's articles, there's bones. It's all over the place. Again, secular History wants to suppress that because if there's giants, guess what? It's another evidence that evolution is one of the biggest lies ever conjured up by the enemy of our souls. So they had to go in there and they had to wipe these people out, not only because of their practices, but because of genetically where they were. Because again, what were they trying to do? The aim of all that was to cut off Israel so the Savior of the world couldn't come. And God would be proved a liar and man would be damned forever. This is why to this day Satan wants to destroy Israel because we know that Jesus will come and sit on the throne of Israel. So if he can destroy Israel today, guess what? God's a liar and all his promises are null and void. It gives you insight into history when you understand these things, when you understand that Adolf Hitler was an occultist, a demon worshiper, probably possessed by Satan himself. 
You say, what would drive a man to do such a thing, to commit such genocide? Again, Satan himself. But praise God, he brings beauty out of ashes because even out all of that, biblical prophecy fulfilled in Israel becoming a nation again in 1948, according to the word of God. So they went in there to, to, to wreck this place because judgment had come upon them. And again, I, we talked a little about this Sunday. When a nation comes to a place, they're no longer ashamed of their sin. Judgment comes next. Our nation's on the cusp of it. Pray for our nation. Because they used to say, oh boy, you know, if... I don't know who said it. If God doesn't uh, destroy America, he'll have to apologize to Solomon and Gomorrah. I heard that like 30 years ago. A lot of people are still ashamed of sin. There was a lot of things that were still done behind closed doors. How worse can it get? Flash forward 30 years. Look at where we've gone in the last five years. Gross sexual sin. I mean, men even denying their DNA of how God made them. And then they want to say, well, you know what? It's all pseudoscience. And then real science, we don't even want to deal with real science, you know, as far as anatomy and so forth and genetics. And from the beginning, God made the male and female and so forth. It's, it's, the, the prophets speak of it before the, right before the judgment of, of God, the nations would abandon the original ordinances of God. Be fruitful and multiply. For this reason, again, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. He joined to his wife, the feminine. That you shall become one flesh. And you see all this stuff being abandoned today. And boy, even if you stand up, there, there are people that would hear this message and say, oh, hate monger, let's kill him. Hate monger, oh, you're the blight on the face of the earth. And guess what? That's prophetic too. Because the Lord said, this time's going to come when you're hated by all nations for my namesake. And we're headed rapidly towards it. So anyhow, he told, told them to go in there and wipe them out. And then notice he says, uh, destroy all their engraved images or engraved stones their molded images and demolish their high places and dispose of the inhabitants go in there and destroy all this stuff why these things would be temptations for them to begin to practice the very things that those people were being judged by look at these engraved images these engraved stones molded images they, 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 there was a demonic aspect of those things because they would worship these fallen demons to get what they would want. Again, they'd sacrifice their children to appease those demonic children. And with that blood, they would be given more power. This stuff's being practiced all over the world today. It's being practiced by even people in our community today. You need to know that. I'm not trying to freak anyone out. It's just, it's just the truth of the matter. You also need to know that Listen, these engraved stones, molded images, these high places, these things were pornographic. Pornography is not a new thing when, you know, someone was able to take a picture, took it to a new level, but these things were pornographic in nature. And so again, it went against God's design for one man and one woman and holy matrimony, that intimacy behind closed doors. Again, the high places, they go and sacrifice these demons. You gotta get rid of all this. You gotta get this temptation out, wreck it all. And there'd be certain kings at different times, they'd bring reforms. Remember, they just went and wrecked. They just, just, we're gonna tear it all down. And then you see blessing on Israel the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and then they go back to it again. They begin to forget. And that's why we gotta continually be, you know what, getting sin out of our life and temptation and so forth. And it will come try to creep it back in, and we gotta get it out of there. Why? He says, if you don't do it, there'll be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your side, and they'll harass you in the land. 
And we got to know as followers of Christ, when we make provisions to sin, and sin is almost always pleasurable for a season. We're going to be real about things here. But boy, you let it begin to linger. It, it starts off, and remember that movie Gremlins? Remember how cute that little guy was at the beginning? And then what was it if, if they're, they get water on them or something after? Don't go watch that movie. It's, it's, I remember seeing it as a kid and I saw it as an adult. And I'm like, what was I doing watching this at 12 years old? But they would turn into a demon, right? And that's how sin is. Oh, it looks all cute and cuddly and it's going to kind of satisfy me. And then, brah, you know? And he says, there'll be irritants and thorns. They're going to harass you. Again, that sin left unchecked, it opens up doors. The Bible talks about it all the time. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not sin lest you give Satan a foothold, and he'll harass you. Keep short accounts with him. Get stuff out of you. You might need to go home tonight and just destroy some stuff and throw it out and get it out of your home. Quickly here, Numbers 34. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land of Canaan, this land shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its borders. And again, uh, the Lord speaking, he says, command them. It's not an optional. I'm, I'm commanding you. And then he says, when you come into the land, again, not if, but when. And when you do, you shall, your inheritance shall fall to you. Again, promises yes and amen. And in Christ, we will go into glory and God wants to give us an inheritance, so let's be about his business. It'll be a wonderful thing to get in glory and have a crown. Why? Because we're going to take those and we're going to put them at the feet of the Lord and worship them. That's the point of those crowns. Also, again, this land was deeded to them, and and God hasn't recanted that deed, and we've talked a little bit about that. It plays into end-time events. I'm not going to read the next verses, but if you go through verse 3 through 5, it talks about the southern border. And it's interesting, that southern border is very similar to the border, southern border of Israel today, right there above Egypt. And then the western border is, of, of course, again, the, the great sea there, and that's the same today. And it's interesting, Islam talks about driving the Israelites into the sea. And, and they, their politicians, their, their heads of states will say that, but you never get the interpretation unless you listen to the right news sources. And there was recently one of the CNN guys was saying that. He used that phrase that they use of driving Israel to the sea. Then, oh, you know, I didn't really mean it. And we got to know in doing that, you know what they're doing? They're trying to drive God out of their life. That's what they're trying to do. That anti-Israel spirit's always tied into an anti-Christ spirit. They go hand in hand. And it's not that we worship the Jews. It's not that they're perfect. We don't. We worship God. Worship the Lord. They, they need the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is about them coming to salvation as a nation. Then you get the northern border, and again, their northern border actually went far up into the modern-day part of Lebanon, which is right there north of Israel. And then, again, the eastern border was the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, uh, where that border is today. But listen, there's other verses like Joshua, and I don't have time to read it, but Joshua chapter 1 three through four and other places that talk about Israel's border even being much broader than it is right now. Now there's some, you know, prophecy teachers, they believe that even before the second coming of Christ, Israel's borders are going to expand 
I don't know if they will or not, but we do know during the millennial rule of Christ, Israel's borders will be broad and much wider than they are today. Um, Verse 13 through 15, he talks about those nations or or those tribes that settled uh, east of the Jordan and uh, Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And we talked all about that last week. So I'm I'm not going to read the text again. Um, God said, that's your inheritance there. But it still was outside of that call to go there into Canaan. And they kind of negotiated it with God. And listen, God is so gracious. God has a perfect plan for all of us. There's a lot of areas, though, that there's kind of a permissive will as well. And I think God looks at our heart. We're not talking about things clear in the scripture, but we have freedom in Christ. But I think sometimes in his permissive will, we choose the lesser of what God has for us. Amen. And I think times we choose the lesser because it seems easier. You know, it's, it's easier. This is the lesser. And it was easier for them to stay there east of the Jordan than say, listen, let's, let's go in. And our land might be smaller. We got all this cattle, but let's trust in the Lord. Let's, let's not trust in livestock and land. And remember we talked about last week how they settled, those, those two and a half tribes settled east of the Jordan. And in the long run, it was to their demise because they were the first to go into captivity because they didn't have those natural borders that Israel has even to this day. They didn't have the Golan Heights and they didn't have, you know, that mountainous region as you go up there to, to uh, Jerusalem. They didn't have that desert to the south. They were, they were open for the Assyrians that would come in and they'd go right in there to captivity. And we talked about how, you know, when, when you take the lesser of what God wants for you, oftentimes that hedge even can go down. That, that spiritual hedge can go down. The Bible speaks a lot about those hedges of protections. And then we also saw how it, it would affect their people because in the day of Christ, the Lord would go to uh, Gadara and what would he find there? Jews there raising pigs and demon-possessed men that they couldn't control. And then even after the Lord cast the demons out, they're like, we don't want you here. They were so far from the temple. They were so far from worship. They got so far from where God wanted to be. It affected them. And we want to make sure we're not getting away from fellowship with the lord and being in the word and prayer and and christian fellowship with like-minded believers uh again we're not saved by those things we're saved by grace through faith but it affects us when we get far it will affect your children if you get them far from fellowship and far from sunday school it will have an effect on their soul and then 16 down through 29 16 through uh 16 through 18 says the lord spoke to moses saying these are the names of the men who shall divide the land among, uh, among you as an inheritance. Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun. And you shall take one leader from every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. And it names all the leaders from every tribe. And, and what we see again, Moses had raised up someone to replace him, to, to lead. It was Joshua. Eleazar would be Aaron's replacement. And they were in charge of this task of dividing the land. And then they had heads of the tribes to work in conjunction with them. And what we see in this gifts of administration, and then we see God's desire for order through positions of leadership. Again, the Lord spoke, the leaders obeyed, and the people followed, and then things were done orderly. And God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And, and we made it through chapter 34. So uh, let's pray. And... Uh, 
finish up here. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your word, Lord. So many rich things here. And God, I know we're barely scratching the surface. Let us think on these things, God. Uh, we want to grow in you and your word. We don't want to just know more about you. We want to know you more. And I hope and pray we've grown in that knowledge of you tonight. You know, Lord, the gospel's been shared tonight. And Lord, I hope and pray everyone knows, knows you. But if you're in this place and you haven't called upon Christ, Again, our sin separates us from him, and Jesus has made that way of salvation. Call on him. Ask him to be your Lord, which, which listen, it means you're turning from what your Lord is, and we all got a Lord. And that's what repentance is. I'm turning to put faith in my own way to say, Jesus, I want your way. I want you. I want to put my hope and trust in you. Be my Lord. Wash me in my sin. Meet me where I'm at. Go before me. I want to follow you, Lord, and he'll meet you where you're at. Bless the rest of our night, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name we say together. Amen. God bless you.